take out your insert this week. This insert has the passages I will read and will be referring to. We are in the midst of a four-week Advent sermon series on the true gifts of Christmas. I made mention to you that when you look at a fine diamond to really enhance your appreciation of its beauty, you want to hold it at different angles and look at it against different backdrops with light shined in it in different ways because it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see that precious stone like that. Jesus is far more beautiful than any diamond, and so we do well to look at Christ through the different biblical perspectives that we have given to us, and this is where we find the true gift that Jesus is. I'm only covering four, about four benefits of Jesus the gift, gifts that flow from the gift, you might say. In the first week, we were reminded about the most important of all the gifts, that is the gift of the forgiveness of our sins. In Christ, we receive total forgiveness for our sins, and so we're right with God. You could say that forgiveness is gift number one because everything else flows from having this cleared relationship with our Father because of forgiveness. Well, next, today, we'll view another gift, a gift of God through Christ, the gift of adoption, so closely related to the gift of forgiveness. Like forgiveness, adoption does have a legal aspect to it, no question. But there's a relational aspect to adoption that goes even further now. It establishes a a warm family relationship with our Father and then with each other as the family of God. Adoption produces a sense of security with God our Father. All of us have to be adopted by God to be His children. Adoption is a life-shaping gift of God's grace. We have this sense of security now that comes from belonging to God, our Father. Adoption indeed gives us a new identity and a new belonging, and we all want these things. Now, follow as I read the four passages that are the main passages, I think, in the New Testament that describe this beautiful teaching. I'll start with 1 John 3. This is God's holy word. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. In Galatians 4, starting at verse 4 and reading to verse 7, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Romans eight fifteen through 7 to 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Finally, Ephesians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him 
before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. We're no longer slaves. We're no longer orphans. We are children of the living God through Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are so grateful to be able to call you Father. Help us now to know the teaching of your word about our adoption into your family through Christ. Help us to sense our belonging to you. Oh Lord, be with those who have had very difficult family experiences. May they be overjoyed by your Spirit's ministry with this truth of their adoption by you through Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I prayed, and as we begin to think of this great gift, this true gift, gift of Christmas, adoption, I know there are, there's probably a good number of people here who have a justifiably jaded view of family. You may have had terrible parents, maybe an estranged relationship with siblings. The image of God as your father is difficult to hear when it comes up in Scripture because you can only envision what you have known in this temporal situation, this earthly situation that you have found yourself in. Maybe the holidays in general are a great stress to a great many people because of this. I don't take this lightly at all. And I don't mean to be in any way insensitive as we plow through looking at adoption. And the reason why I don't want to be slight about it, even with the sensitivity I want to have, is because the Bible gives us a promise about this particular doctrine. Whatever the case may be, God promises that the Holy Spirit will help you, whatever your background may be, will help you know this is true for you in Christ. This is why Romans 8 says, in the last part of verse 15 into verse 16, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, sons and daughters for that matter, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's that, that informal way of calling our father, Daddy. The Spirit, it says here in, in Romans, the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So the Spirit of God can overcome whatever your earthly situation is to grasp what it means to be the children of God. Remember, the original audience that received these epistles I just read from, they had no better situations than we do. And God said to them, and he says to us, the Spirit bears witness to your spirit that you are the children of God. Our adoption by God through Christ, it truly is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. In fact, J.I. Packer, in his seminal work, Knowing God, devotes time to this doctrine of adoption. In the midst of a very technical work, finds this doctrine to be so important that he addresses it very thoroughly. He makes this statement about adoption. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. That's a heavy statement. He says further, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and their prayers and their whole outlook on life, Packer says, it means that they do not understand Christianity very well at all. I find it interesting that in a similar way, the Westminster Confession of Faith, in the smallest chapter, adds this doctrine because it is so important. 
I think that the people who penned it realized how personally and practically important the doctrine of adoption is. Take your hymnals for a moment and look at page 855 in the back. I want you to see it. I'll make a few comments, but thoroughly appreciate this very short chapter that we could say is very pastoral, very concerned that the readers would recognize the Bible's emphasis on this doctrine. And it does a superb job really drawing out the Bible's teaching on the doctrine of adoption, this great gift that we receive. I'll read it. All those that are justified, those who are made right with God through forgiveness, God vouchsafeth. We don't say vouchsafeth enough. God grants us, he accords us, he gives us in and for his only son Jesus Christ to make partakers of the grace of adoption, the gift of adoption, by which they are taken into the number, so officially counted as part of his family, and enjoy the liberties and the privileges of the children of God. Remember being able to do whatever you want in your parents' home, better than that. What you can, whatever you want in your grandparents' home. That's where it really is, is, that's where you get all the rights and privileges and liberties that you can imagine. Have at it. Have the name, his name put on them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace, go directly to God, no waiting in line, and you could do so with boldness. You're enabled to cry, Abba, Father, we're pitied, protected, provided for chastened by him as by a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of the everlasting salvation. That's a beautiful summation of the Bible's teaching on the gift of adoption. I would summarize it simply this way. In a gift of love and a gift of grace that goes beyond words, through Christ He has bestowed upon us the honor and the status of the sons and daughters of God. And he does so through adoption. What a gift. In Galatians 4, he sent forth his son. Why did he send his son? Born of a woman, born under the law. To redeem those who are under the law. To redeem. We know that. But it also says, so that we might receive adoption as sons, as his children. God sent his son to redeem and to adopt, to legally clear us and to bring us into close familial relationship with him. Don't forget that part. Yes, we're forgiven, but we're also taken in, given a new name, a new identity, and a new association that's open. It's free in him. Adoption is actually, in the Greek, a compound word meaning son into place to place a son, or to give to one the position of a son. To take one who was not by natural generation of one's family and to legally receive them into the family and treat them as a born child. Paul took this concept of adoption not from Jewish law, but from the known Roman law, which was much more technical and binding. The Jewish, if you remember the Jewish practice, you recall back with Abraham, when it looked like he wasn't going to have his own kid, and Sarah said, is Eleazar going to be your heir? It's key what Sarah said. Is Eleazar going to be your heir? It didn't say he's going to be your son. There's a big difference. It, there was no place for this in Jewish 
law. But in the Roman law, it was very developed by this, this time in history. Under Roman law, an adopted child enjoyed the same exact status and privileges as a child born by natural generation. In fact, even more so. Once adopted, you could not, you could not disown an adopted child. You could disown a natural child in Roman law. It was even more strong than the natural family, if you would call it that. You, a well-off but childless adult in Rome who wanted an heir for their stuff in their name might adopt somebody, usually at an age other than infancy, someone older, maybe even someone who had been their slave. In fact, that's why it seems that Paul talks we're no longer slaves, but now we're adopted. That was a common thing. You couldn't have children of your own, so you adopt one of your slaves you trust who's close to you. Uh, they're a servant. And then because of this relationship, you adopt them and they become your heirs. There's reasons for this. To give one's goods and to keep one's name continued on. In the Roman world, the first century, an adopted child was deliberately chosen by the adoptive parents to perpetuate that family's name. An adopted child was in no way inferior. In fact, you might argue, had a place of greater affection with the parents. And this is what Paul uses as a descriptive for our being the children, the adopted children of God. In a gift of love and grace beyond words, God through Christ bestows on us the honor and the status of sons and daughters through adoption. Yes, there's a legal aspect, but now let's see that there is a relational aspect. I like to say when I'm teaching this doctrine to people who really love doctrine, here is the Reformation's feel-good doctrine. It's all right to feel. And this is the doctrine that makes us feel something. And the reason why this doctrine makes us feel something is because God says the Holy Spirit helps us know this to be true, testifies to our spirit that we do belong to God. It can be difficult to break into groups, but there's a sense the Spirit gives us that makes us know we belong to God when he's forgiven us our sins through Christ. Let's consider some benefits that cause or that flow from this great gift of adoption. And I have them noted for you on your outline. The first one, and I'll make some references to the confession's great statement on this. But the first statement, overarching, we are taken into God's family with a sense of belonging and access to our Father through Christ. This is something that's supernatural that God works when he calls us to himself. Belonging to a family means that we have a sense of identity with another, a group outside ourselves. There's security with that. There's association with that, a certain safety with that, even a certain pride with that, knowing that we're of that family name. Now we have the name of Christ. We're not alone. There's a warmth that comes from our family membership, taken into the number, officially noted. His name is put upon us. It means we enjoy the liberties and the privileges of the children of God. These are all these freedoms we have without worry of being cast off. The Holy Spirit gives us a sense of belonging. God sends His Spirit, the Spirit of His Son in Galatians 4, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Tim Keller says well on this topic, the normal Christian life is like this, and he doesn't knock this, it's true. Most of the time we are living 
the Christian life by claiming the objective truth of our sonship. Things happen, we have to remind ourselves, we are the children of God. We tell ourselves this. He says, you're saying, I'm not going to live like this. I am a son. I'm going to believe that I'm fully accepted in the beloved. So we repeat the truth to ourselves. And he says, that's good. And that's what you should do. But when the Spirit of God begins working in us and is doing this work, you will find that you don't have to tell yourself this. You know this. It's intuitive because of the Spirit's work. In Romans 8, 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This gives us an access directly to God that's unfettered. We're not scared to enter his throne room. We don't have to make an appointment. We don't have to wait or stand back to meet him. We're special to him, and he wants us to be with him. When I was probably 10 years old, I know it was when Buffalo still had two newspapers, and my dad worked for, they would go back and forth, they're part of a union, would go back and forth between these two places. And someone took me to see him over lunch because I was downtown for some other reason. I don't remember the specifics. But I remember walking into the press room where the printing presses were, and uh, the Buffalo News had three massive presses that the papers came off of. I know the younger crowd not familiar with what I'm talking about. It's paper that they write the news on. Anyways, there were three of these things, and the room was almost as big as this is, with massive presses, three of them in a row, and then they had a, basically like an assembly line of machinery that came out from it that bundled the papers to then go out on trucks. And then I was a paper boy way back in the day, and I would get them in a box in front of my house. But I was there the day my dad was working on one of these lines. There were eight or nine guys working one of these lines as the papers, as they came off. It was an impressive operation, super loud. Eight or nine guys working one machine, eight or nine the second one, eight or nine here, forklifts going all over here, pallet jacks moving here and there, bundles flying up, people yelling. They couldn't hear because they're wearing stuff, so it was super loud. And I remember going in there a little scared about the whole thing, and I saw my dad up there, but I didn't want to interrupt, and it felt like everyone was looking. And I see he makes eye contact with me, and he sees me there, and he reaches over and hits this red button, and the whole line shuts down. He goes, Tone, come over here. And he has me come over, and he introduces me to his friends. This is my son. The, the whole thing shut down. I'm waiting for someone to come out. He didn't care. His son was there. I mean, I'd never been there before. You talk about your kids at work and things, but people never, I happen to be there. He shows me off to everybody like I'm something to show off. God loves you way more than that. He'll stop everything for you to come and he'll brag about you because you're in Christ. And he loves you like that and you can come to him anytime. He'll hit the red button, he'll stop it all, and he'll talk to you. That's what God does for us. That's adoption. That's what it means to be God's children. The king of the universe for you unfettered access to your Father. The statement in the confession says, well, by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and the privileges of the children of God. Have his name put upon them. Receive the spirit of adoption. Have access to the throne of grace with boldness. Are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. So first, we're taken into God's family with this sense of belonging and access through Christ. But I want you to know, secondly, a benefit of adoption is God's constant care for us as our Father. He cares for us perfectly. All the ways we try to care for our own children, He does so perfectly for us. And this boils down to several ways in which He cares for us. First, He pities our situation. 
Now, our life is very short in God's perspective, but he recognizes how toilsome it is for you, for us. A great many of you are dealing with toils that continue to weigh you down, that will probably last the rest of the time you're here on this earth. It's short for God, but he knows it's long for you. And he cares about this. He pities us for this condition. It's only brief on the bigger scale of things, and we'll see that eventually, but for now, that's not how we feel about it. And he knows about this, and he cares about this. Jesus himself endured the pains he endured, partly at least, to sympathize, to know our pains. God pities us in our circumstances and cares and is watching and is even providentially overseeing. Also, I want you to notice, in addition to his pity for us, is that he protects us from ultimate harm. We may be undergoing difficulties, but our souls are not in danger. Your Father will not let you go. Whatever may happen to you on this earth, even the doubts you have at times, he will not let you go. He protects you from ultimate soul harm. Our ultimate good, our eternal good, is secured by our Father. He protects us in this way. He providentially watches over us minute by minute. Nothing from outside of God's plan for us can come and change that fact. Nothing. He protects us from ultimate harm. This is how he cares for us. He also promises and delivers on providing for our needs. It's easy to get confused with our wants and our needs. We all know this division. But Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, knowing that our Father would deliver this. He promises to supply all of our needs. No one could be more secure than the child of God. Think as a parent, as you have your children, we have so many new families in our midst with young children. Those young parents are not looking at their children and thinking of what they're going to charge their baby for as they grow older. You know, how much for food? How much for food do you think Elizabeth could kick in at day six of her life? How much, we don't think this way, we, we, we provide. We provide food, we provide shelter, we provide clothes, we, we provide medical things that they may need. We're constantly thinking about how we can help them and help them grow, help develop well. Uh, we might help them with uh, schooling or training. Whatever. We don't, we just, this is what we do as parents. And God provides for us all the more with no, nothing, no strings attached. He provides for us way beyond what we need normally, but at least what we need, he gives us this. He also does something else we don't like to talk about that counts as his care for us. He loves us so much that he disciplines us. He chastises us. He gives us conviction as his children. It makes us uncomfortable at times because he loves us so much. It's a lie for parents to think that I won't discipline my children because I love them. It's the opposite. You do not love them if you don't discipline them. He doesn't want us to destroy ourselves So he disciplines us. He chastises us at times. That's what a loving parent does. And he does it with purpose and with care. He doesn't punish us. That's been poured out on Christ. But he disciplines us. He causes us to have to wake up from our slumber sometimes, causes discomfort so we we stop and think, who am I relying upon, myself and my wisdom in the world around me or God? And he causes us to stop in our tracks at times. He disciplines us with things that arise. And it's true, children may protest when they're under discipline, but eventually they understand that love is what motivates that discipline. Now, that could be flawed in this earth, in our human relationships. It's not with God. You will never get to the end of your life 
nor will you spend a second in eternity and think, you know, God, you could have done this a little different. You won't think, you'll thank him for it. You'll thank him for the chastisement. We are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as a father, yet never cast off. Finally, there's a, another benefit that we should dwell more on. Now, part of the reason we don't is because the scriptures gives us these big pictures of it, and we could grasp it's so big, the inheritance that is ours in Christ awaiting us, it, it fills eternity. I, can, I think that's why we don't get more description, because our minds can only handle so much. But the Bible does tell us very clearly that God has provided, our Father is providing for us as his heirs, a sure, eternal inheritance that you can't even imagine. He's storing up this inheritance even now. Not something we can earn, it's something he's earned for us, Christ has, and now we receive it. In Galatians chapter 4, you are no longer slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You're, you're his sons and you're his daughters. You're going to receive this inheritance. In Romans 8, if children, then heirs, children are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Colossians 1, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in his light. How did he qualify us? He placed us in Christ. So we receive benefits because of Christ, even some of Christ's benefits. In 1 Peter it says, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, and here's the description, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's a description that deserves a little analysis. You know, we have some trouble with this because we only know human inheritance, that which parents or grandparents give to their children or grandchildren. But it does help us a little. We can think of this for a bit and appreciate it. For instance, my children stand to inherit some incredible treasure upon my departure from this earth. Now, why would anyone laugh at that? I cannot understand. I have seven white-tailed buck shoulder mounts. Now, I have four children, so I need to get some more to have it equal. An additional nine European mounts of white-tailed bucks, two turkey mounts, one coyote mount, one bobcat mount. I even have the posterior of a white-tailed deer mounted. That's a favorite. All this and even more will be theirs upon my death. Now, I'm sure even as we speak, the boys in particular, I know my daughter wouldn't do this, but I'm sure behind my back they're texting even now to see who gets which mount. Come on. What do you got that's so much better? You think right now that your old grandfather clock that they, that's, that's awesome? Or you think that your 1937 Mauser with wax in the barrel is good? Or the watch that Chevron gave you when you retired? Or that ugly dining room table that you kept because you didn't want to insult your grandparents, but your kids will be smarter than that? They're going to auction it all, be honest with yourself. Or if they don't, it's going to rust, it's going to fade, it's going to decay, it's going to fall apart. But our inheritance in Christ as God's children, it's imperishable. It cannot decay, it cannot rust, and it cannot fall apart. Our inheritance in Christ as God's children is unspoiled. There's nothing sullied about it. It's not imperfect. It's perfect in every way. 
Nothing you give your children will have that perfection. Our inheritance in Christ as God's children, it's unfading. It won't lose its luster. It won't lose its color. It won't fade. Our inheritance in Christ as God's children is reserved. It's kept for us. It's secure. The stock market plummeting or the American dollar dropping in value cannot touch your inheritance in eternity. That's what being children of God has us looking forward to. We are sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation, as the 12th chapter says so wonderfully in the Westminster Confession. Adoption implies relational intimacy. It implies, it, it means that God delights in us. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he doesn't say, our creator who art in heaven, our king who art in heaven, our Lord and master who art in heaven. We say, our father who art in heaven. We're not orphans. We're not slaves. We're God's children. Packer said it well in the end of his Knowing God book. Sonship must be the controlling thought, the normative category, if you like, at every point. This follows from the nature of the case and is strikingly confirmed by the fact that our Lord's teaching on, on Christian discipleship is cast in these terms. Finally, he says, Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as Father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship and establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. What a gift of love and grace beyond words that God would take us and place us into his family. See what kind of love the Father has for us, that he would give us the name, the children of God. As we close, take your hymnal one more time, turn to page 855. We're going to close by reciting with one voice this great statement of the Bible's teaching on the gift, the grace of adoption. It's at the bottom of the page, as you have seen already. This is chapter 12 of the Confession. Just one section. Let's say this together in unison. All those that are justified, God vouchsafeth in and for his only Son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption, by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God, having his name put upon them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as by a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption, and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Let's pray. Father, it has been said by some that our adoption by you through Christ, is the apex of your mercy and grace. O oh Lord, without a doubt, this is a high privilege that can be bestowed upon us, that has been given to us to be adopted into your family through Christ. In our salvation, you not only redeem us from our sins and credit Christ's righteousness to us, but you also adopt us into your very family, and you never cast us off. Father, especially for those feeling alone, lonely, worthless, disconnected, or unassociated, please encourage them with this blessed doctrine 
of adoption. May our church family manifest these truths in our relationships. Lord, grant that all of us might enjoy the liberties and the privileges of being your children, especially as we contemplate the incarnation of Jesus again this Advent season, but also forevermore. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.